Educators want to stay fresh with literacy instruction, but are so busy with students, they don't always have the time. All year long, Choice Literacy publishes and delivers the best K-12 literacy practices so that educators can grow their students as readers and writers with choice in literacy. Welcome to the Big Fresh Choice Literacy Podcast. I'm Ruth Ayers. This week, Gretchen Schrader shares her lead essay, Grow Their Legs. One May evening, I was backing out of the driveway when my daughter Sophie let out a little yelp. I immediately hit the brakes as she said, Mom, what is that up against the garage door? At first glance, it looked like a crumpled brown paper grocery bag. But when Sophie added, is that a baby deer? I realized that she was right. We immediately got out of the car to take a closer look. It was so tiny, maybe about 18 inches curled up with light brown fur dotted with white spots. It appeared to be peacefully sleeping, which was an unusual sight since we live in the city. We wondered what we should do about it, but since we had softball practice to get to, we had to get back in the car and go. When we returned home that evening, the baby deer was still there. The next morning, it was gone, but a day later, it showed up again, this time staying for almost eight hours, just sleeping and seemingly abandoned by its mother. My daughters thought we had a new pet, but I was more skeptical. I wondered whether there was something I should be doing to help the little fawn. I was relaying the story to my mom when she told me that she had recently read an article about this phenomenon of baby deer being found alone in residential areas. It turns out that it is quite normal for mother deer to leave their babies alone while they go off to forage for food and that we should just leave the fawn alone. When they are very young, the fawns cannot keep up with their mothers and are susceptible to predators, so mothers often leave them in places where they will be safe, which is usually in tall grass or bushes, but can sometimes be out in the open, like our driveway. This mother deer thought that our driveway was a safe place for her fawn. She is not unlike the caregivers of my students who send their sons and daughters off to school hoping that they will find a safe place in my classroom where they will be nourished and grow their legs. This is especially true for me as a teacher of high school seniors. My students are almost ready to move on to the next stage in their lives. They still need encouragement and coaching in their reading and writing lives. But on the other hand, there is something to be said about giving students space within a safe environment, being left alone to make their own choices about what they will read and what they will write is its own form of nourishment. We're often quick to intervene when we see students struggle, but within a safe environment, some independence will help students to develop those strong legs that will allow them to enter the world and keep up. Ruth, I just love listening to Gretchen's words and that lead that she had this week that grow their legs, because I feel like at the beginning of the school year, that's where all my attention and focus is, is how to get started and take those first steps and grow those strong legs and help children find their way in the work we do. And so this week's focus about uh, making workshop work is 
certainly helped me reflect and get my head in the right space for this time of year. I agree. This uh, this issue was so fun to put together because right now, at this point in the school year, we're we're thinking about how we're going to make this work. You know, classrooms, kids are getting back. <laughs> we're getting our legs underneath us. For some of us, you know, it's been a long time since kids have been in a in person school, even, and there's still that unknown. And so, I really appreciated Gretchen's lead, uh, just with that something so outside of our classrooms, this baby deer on her garage, um, by her garage door, but made so much sense for this issue of a collection of articles about making, making workshop work. Before we talk about the articles though, I'm really excited about Heather Fisher's pick for our, for our August book club. It's So You Want to Be an Owl by Jane Porter and Maddie Frost. It's a children's book and it's nonfiction. I think it is so much fun. Um, even just thumbing through it, you can see the way it's crafted. Um, and so it's nonfiction, but it's, it's so playful all the way through from the font to the illustration to the way that they're teaching about owls. So I really am hoping that people are going to read along with us this week. It's the power of book club. It's an easy way just to think about um, ideas for books to use in classrooms and to be connected as a choice literacy community. Yes, I really always look forward to hearing everyone's perspective. It always makes me think about the book and the possibilities in new ways. And hearing from educators in lots of different spaces, lots of different places, and at lots of different levels of teaching really helps me to think about new possibilities and see the book in a whole new light. So I'm excited to hear what our choice community is going to bring to the table on this one. We've really kicked around the idea, like, how do you get to hear from, from a lot of people? Um, how, do we, how do we hear other people's thoughts about the book? And uh, the kind of the, I think perhaps the simplest solution we've stumbled upon is a hashtag. So we have a hashtag, it's hashtag choice literacy book club. And Kathy, it's just my hope that if people are reading along, maybe they'll post a picture of themselves with, uh, so you want to be an owl or we'll see, so what you want to be an owl in different classrooms. I think it'd be a lot of fun if that hashtag would be a way that we can share our thoughts about a book. Yes, I would love to hear some of the ways that educators are using it alongside children and what kids are bringing to the book as well. So maybe we'll get to hear and see some of the things that kids are thinking as they read along with us as well. The possibilities are endless. I just love the way when you kick around an idea, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger. So I hope people will use the hashtag Choice Literacy Book Club in as many creative ways that they can think of. So this week uh, in the free for all section, I spent so much time on this site looking up articles about making workshop work and there are a ton. It was really hard to narrow it down, but one I pulled out was Susie Kabak's article. Um, the title of it, um, The Self-Fulfilling Prophecies, Recommending Yourself. Uh, I love Susie's words here because really what she's talking about is some work she did alongside student teachers with their mentor teachers and 
thinking about the strengths we have as educators and claiming those and writing our own letters of recommendation. And as I read the article, Ruth, it, it's so, it was such a perfect one. I don't know how you decided which ones to choose because there are so many on the site, but this one seemed to keep coming back to my mind as I read all the other articles that are a part of this week's collection. And what I love most about it is it didn't seem to matter which one of my hats I put on. I found a way that this article really spoke to me. So whether it was thinking about my students in my classroom and helping them, especially in these first weeks of school, share their strengths so that we can all learn what each one of the people in our community bring to the table. And so I love that piece of putting those strengths out there first for kids and really helping them to get secure and I guess, grow their legs in those. And then, but then I also thought about the work we do with new teachers every year, this time of year, and how this might really give us an opportunity to not only get to know them, but for them to reflect on what are the strengths that I, strengths that I bring to my new community, to the teachers on my team, to the kids in my classroom. And then even just teams, like, I don't know about you, Ruth, but my favorite part, I think, of any place I've ever been are the teams that I work with and I'm alongside. And the reason I love that is because every person that sits down together just brings something different to the table. And so what I loved about this article was I felt like it was a good way even as teams to kind of talk about what is it that we bring to one another that makes us stronger. I'm so glad to hear you say that, uh, Kathy, because I was a little concerned that this article might be out of the box for a theme making workshop work, but you're right. Like as we read the other articles, this one, it keeps coming back to. And I think the reason why it works is because it's about getting your heart right. And it, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things about making workshop work, all these kind of checklists or hoops to jump through. But ultimately it's about knowing ourselves, knowing our strengths and deciding this is the kind of teacher I'm going to be. And I love that about this article. Um, it made me chuckle Susie's lead in here where she's asking kids, they get started because as a classroom teacher, she used to ask kids to name their strength as writers. And inevitably somebody's naming a strength that isn't quite yet a strength. And the way that Susie embraces that and even challenges us to do that as teachers, thinking through what kind of teacher do I want to be, um, even if I'm not quite there yet. And I felt like this is a good, this is a good exercise for us. Uh, no matter where we are in our career, no matter when it is during the school year, this kind of exercise is a good one. Well, and I felt like it was one you could carry across the year. So I kind of chuckled too, Ruth, when she said, when she asked her kids first about this, she said, I realized that some of the kids claimed expertise in an area that was currently in development rather than fully actualized in their writing. And that's one of the things that she loved. But I think about, you know, across the year, right, right now, we're talking about the strengths we have, but that easily leads us into our next steps and that stretch in our learning. And so it really gives us the first stones to lay on that path that we will continue to build across the school year. Um, it, it's really a piece that I have gone back to several times. And if we get through this whole podcast and I don't bring it up again, it will be an amazing thing. 
<laughs> well, it's a it's just a solid article. I think it's a great one too for instructional leaders when they're looking for you know just a way to approach some professional learning where they're wanting teachers to take ownership and nudge change, but nudge change from from the inside, from the heart. Uh, Tara Barnett and Kate Mills wrote an article last year in 2020, and it's about the structure of writing workshop, but it uh, pushed the envelope a little bit because they're talking about uh, how to make workshop really work for the kids that are inside it and being free with moving the structure around a little bit in order to meet the needs of kids. I think Tara and Kate have the, they have a classic approach to, to workshop. And I love the way that they were watching what kids need. And in this article, it's what teachers need also in order to collect some data and observation of kids and then making it, making it work in a slightly different, different kind of uh, structure. I agree, Ruth. I, I really once again thought this article had so many ways to get me thinking as a teacher, but also to help build conversation. And I love that idea of thinking through our core beliefs and what's kind of foundational and essential in that workshop, but how we can be more flexible. And to your point about the collecting data, I think the piece that really struck me, Ruth, that I enjoyed was where they talked about working alongside the kindergarten teacher and how they talked about just finding five minutes once a week to circulate around the room and take notes. And I love this because I think so often we feel like as soon as the kids go out to write, we have to get right beside them. And sometimes just standing back for a minute in some parts of the workshop and looking at the way the kids are working and what they're doing can tell us so much to shape our teaching. So even just putting it in place one time a week, I felt like would give us um, not only a system, but also permission to understand the power of that kid watching. And, you know, I always felt like too, it's so much easier to get a good grasp on your kids writing when you're walking around the room, um, carrying those folders home can take a lot of time <laughs> to pull stories out. So sometimes just walking through, and especially now with digital tools, where you can snap pictures of things that catch your eye or collect those notes that will help you in shaping next steps for the child and for the learning community. I just loved that permission there. It reminded me um, a long time ago at NCTE, I went to a Don Graves legacy dinner and people were sharing uh, what they had learned from Don. And one of the things, like a recurring pattern or theme in what people had learned was to watch children. And he just encouraged teachers to watch kids. And that if we watch them as they work as writers, we're gonna learn so much about how to teach them as writers. And it just goes right along with what you were saying and what this article is about. Well, it's so funny because I was thinking too, Ruth, about how in these first weeks of school, I always get started with my workshops and think, oh goodness, how are we ever going to get to where we need to be? And I honestly get a little bit nervous and a little bit, I don't know how I'm going to make this work, but you know what? It seems like one day just sort of leads to the next day. And before long, you're on that path that you want to be. And so I think about uh, their point to really watch our writers and how that really shapes that flexibility that they're talking about. And that's so important for kids to take those next steps in learning. 
So choice is just this important part about making workshop work. And we see it come up in Tara and Kate's article. I thought I'd be remiss not to mention the elementary contributor course called Empower Choice. And uh, what this was, was last year as we were um, just figuring our footing in pandemic teaching, I asked contributors to uh, offer a session for a, for a course that we could put together about empowering choice. And so it was in this moment of like the most uncertain time, how we were going to continue to offer choice because it's the heart of teaching readers and writers. And so this roundup on the site, it's a process play course. So those courses, process play courses on the site are really about like the teacher uh, participating. So doing things that will help us then transfer our instruction with kids. And um, the thing that I'm kicking myself about the most, Kathy, with this course is I wanted people to get to know contributors and see them like in real time in their classrooms. And so they're sharing their classrooms from last year, which automatically starts to make it feel dated, right, for this year. Um, but it's not dated at all. I feel like this course, the the topics uh, that contributors were sharing are just pushing the envelope for how do we continue to empower choice in, in kids. So um, it has, Stella Vialba is talking about celebrating and affirming students' identities through picture books um, and just such a unique approach to choice. Uh, Bitsy Parks, she talks about like citizenship choices in this course. Uh, Tammy Mulligan, her session is about choice and interactive read aloud. And it is, um, it made me think in a whole different way about this time of day that um, how Tammy is adding so much more choice into interactive read aloud. And then Matt offers a session on co-organizing the classroom library. So it's just a great course. It's free to our members to check out and of course available to anybody else. I think one of the things I, really like about the course, Ruth, um, is that you see there's such a collection of articles around those topics alongside it. So you can really go in and read and think about what that means to you in your classroom alongside your children this year. And even though, you know, as you say, this was created last year, there are those core beliefs that all of these contributors hang on to. And when I looked at it, I thought, oh my goodness, I just wanted to call my friends and I'll take the course together so that we could talk about parts of it. There are a lot of good things in the course. And I, the great thing is you can do it quickly if that's your thing, or you can also kind of dabble in and savor a little bit and then dabble in some more and savor. I'm glad that you brought it back to our attention. Thanks. Um, and for secondary people, there is a secondary course out there um, about empowering choice too, which is a neat one. So our content in the classic classroom this week is um, we have we have some articles that's taking a look at making workshop work. Uh, Bitsy Parks, her article is about uh, four four components to make workshop work. And Bitsy's article really was the inspiration for this week's theme, but she had a title and like a little bit. And then she's like, I don't know where I'm going with this. And so it was, it'd been a few months and I was like, Hey, Bitsy, this theme is coming up. And we talked about it. And when she found the structure for it, you know, these four key 
parts of workshop and then she defines them and she has the these this bulleted list of making it work like these tips for making each part of these components work uh she she just like that article i must have just come out her fingers with ease it was like an hour later she texted me okay it's done and i was like um so i just, i like the way that writers work i really love the way that she boiled down a workshop to four four components that are necessary. I would agree. It was such a nice read because I think you can anchor it in what you know those core elements are of the workshop, but I love the making it work and the way it pushed my thinking. As Bitsy shared the things that were essential to her to making each part of these work and the addition of this, the charts that she developed with her learning community really gave me some time to think about how I might use her thinking in my space as well. And I loved in the making it work um, under her mini lesson, you know, she divides that into four pieces, the mini lesson, the mentor text, that independent work, and then the share session. And I loved in them making it work for the beginning mini lesson that she talks about just the importance of that clear teaching point. And it really took me back to the article that we read and just discussed about the workshop and being flexible, because I think if we can stay, uh, keep that intentional teaching point in our head and what we're trying to help kids know how to do next, it can really make that flexibility so much easier. So I thought uh, reading through her points and then also thinking about what those made me think of and were there other ones I might consider, uh, enjoyed this immensely. It is, I, I'm glad you mentioned the the photos that Bitsy included because it's mm. so it's classic Bitsy uh, writing where she's showing us what it looks like in her classroom through photos. And it, it's definitely worth clicking on the article as a fast read, but one that anchors us in, in the core core beliefs of workshop. Julie Johnson has um, has an article and it's so different from Bitsy. It's one of the reasons why I love uh, the way that we're curating articles, but she, she has one and it's about, um, she makes the comparison to how gra her grandma always made her feel so welcome and is inspired by some of those grandma ways to setting up her classroom to make kids feel welcome when they're entering workshop. I know you had to love this one, Kathy, because you're a new grandma too. Yes, I was partial to this one for a lot of reasons. Julie had me at the word grandma, I won't lie. Um, between having fabulous grandmas myself, and then yes, two new sweet grandbabies, I was all in. But what I love that she did was she really said, these are the questions that I ask myself when I start with a workshop that really makes kids feel welcome. And she goes through those main tenets that she thinks are important in helping kids to feel so welcome and at home in the workshop. And I've had the pleasure of being in Julie's workshops and she's all of these things. Like the conversation is so genuine. The space is set up for kids, by kids. And I think when she talks about just having that, um, those meaningful interactions, 
I think those start with Julie as kids come in to her classroom in the morning and continue through her workshop when she sits down beside writers and talks writer to writer. And so uh, with that sweet, sweet way that any grandma would truly have, though Julie's not, you know, I don't want to to put her in that uh, grandma stage yet, but you know, she did, she does accomplish that joy that we all feel from our grandmas. Yeah, she does. She wrote this um, at our, at our um, choice literacy writing retreat this summer. And she's remembering her grandma, the white diamond perfume. And she talked about the boxes of cereal that you could pour the milk right into the box. And I know a number of contributors are like, oh my goodness, I haven't thought about that for so long. Um, <laughs> It's, it is a sweet article. I, her ending, you, you know, she has these three parts of, for us to consider, the physical space, the meaningful interactions and uplifting language. And Kathy, she wrote, I'm just gonna read these three sentences because I thought it was so wise. She wrote, uh, language forms the basis for everything and sets the tone for the rest of the school year. We is a powerful pronoun. A simple change of wording from my classroom and supplies to our classroom and supplies gives students ownership of our classroom community. I just, you like, it's, it's wise. It's this article that draws you in and then really gives you practical things to do in your classroom. And I think as we think about these first weeks of workshop, we're getting to that place right now, Ruth, where you can start to feel that like I want to get into the work and I want to dive in it's so important to lay these good foundational pieces so kids will be willing to take the risks they're going to need to take to learn and grow and I think these things Julie has talked about are good to be mindful of as we continue through this month of September. There's a new quick take video on the site. It's with Stacy Revere and she's um, a secondary instructional coach. And she's talking with us about the importance of modeling our own reading lives for students, which I think is just essential in making workshop work. Um, the Kathy, she was so uh, just vulnerable and authentic because first of all, like you can't watch her and not smile. <laughs> she just has so much joy. But what she's talking about is how she struggled with reading just like her students do. And she said um, something along the lines of, I share my journey and struggle with kids so they know it's a real part of the process. I just, it just made me, it, it gave me pause for the importance of being so authentic with kids. Yes, I thought the video was a good reminder too. I think sometimes we can get caught up in, you know, our conversations with kids about, building their reading skills or making sure they can write about their reading or have this kind of deep understanding. And I think really what she's getting at is their identity as readers, the things that are easy for them, the things they go to, and also those struggles that we all through. And I couldn't help but think that a conversation like that with the learning community would certainly open the door for kids to also talk about um, the things that they love about reading and who they are as readers, but also open up to their struggles and how as a community, we're going to get stronger together and build those strong legs. So I thought this video was just helpful in getting my, my mind right. 
And as you said earlier, my heart rate as I sat beside readers. It pairs well with, um, it's an Encore article. So it was published a couple months ago, but I thought it was really worth bringing back for our members by Tara Barnett and Kate Mills about choice boards. And what's so special about this article, I think, is the how-to. It's a step-by-step. I mean, the article is laid out step one, step two, for the thought process behind building a choice board and then the actual um, you know, doing it and making choice boards for kids in writing workshop. I appreciated visiting this article, especially at this point in the year, Ruth, because I know when I sit alongside teacher teams, choice boards come up a lot because they give students some agency and ownership in the work. They also give the opportunity to help kids dig back into things that they're learning and to get secure in what it is they know and they can do. And I think sometimes it can be a little bit challenging also to get those choice boards just right. So they're keeping kids moving in the direction we want them to. And Tara and Kate do such a good job here of sticking to the intention of their teaching and the work they're doing with kids. And uh, they even talk about, you know, getting kids to think about what is the writing work that makes the most sense for me today as a writer. And the steps they share really help us fine tune those choice boards. And I, I thought a lot, Ruth, I don't know. When I thought about it, I thought a lot about how choice boards evolve across the year. So what a choice board might look like for a writer now, as we're taking those first steps, looks very different than when we get deeper into our units of study and kids become flexible in the moves they can make. And I felt like their tips really helped guide me in making those good first steps. Yeah, so it's such a good point that you make, and it is true. Um, so if people are thinking about dipping their toes into choice boards, I think this article is a great place to start. Or if you've been doing choice boards, um, I just think this article is one that, that helps us refine it and continue to grow uh, with that work. So in our Leaders Lounge content, um, Matt Renwick has a new article about um, this protocol, he calls it the AAA protocol for communicating feedback. As a coach, I really thought the three A's, being able to uh, think about affirming what it is that you notice, then acknowledging, and then asking a posing question, which really, you know, when you're first getting to know someone, there are always those things you're curious about, but it's really letting the other person lead that conversation because this situation is in some way new to us. And I felt like it was a safe way and a strong way to get started. Matt's always very reflective. He is so that uh, affirm, acknowledge, ask. I am trying to stick that in my mind because I think it's such a great way, as you're saying, when you're getting to know somebody, especially that affirmation to notice and name the strengths of what's observed or discussed. Um, so often we can push through that, you know, in the name of change, but just to linger there in the affirmation of what somebody's doing can make a difference. 
I share a coaching minute video this week and um, I, it's about keeping writers in motion, which I think is just part of the work of making writing workshop work, right? Like we have to keep writers in motion. And um, it's really about helping instructional coaches consider routines that help keep kids writing. I really enjoyed your video, Ruth. I think that your conversation about helping keep writers in motion versus as teachers being gatekeepers really spoke to me because I think anytime we're taking those first steps in workshop, there are some pieces that we have to work through there. And you give some good tips for helping to keep writers in motion. I think we've all had that moment where we've had the line of kids behind us and thought, okay, we've got to really figure out how to make this work. And I know that some of the ways that we can prepare our space and help kids to learn how to have conversations can really help keep that writing in motion and as classroom teachers and as coaches, building, building those skills can help with kids maintaining that ownership. And honestly, Ruth, you know, it takes so much weight off of us in the workshop. You know, when you get to that place where kids can keep their work in motion, you just feel like choirs are singing in the room. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> I, there's just things that we can do that make a lot of sense in order to keep kids going. And that's, that's just half the battle. If we can keep them writing, uh, they're going to grow from the mere, the mere act of writing grows writers. Well, and it's funny, this article, your, your video took me back to Susie's article that we started our whole conversation around today. And that was because, you know, I was thinking about not only is having our workshop and some of those structures and routines and materials out important for our kids, but also teaching our kids to be writing partners so that if I, you're sitting beside me and I'm a little bit stuck or I just need some feedback, helping kids understand how to have those conversations can be so powerful as well. And I thought about Susie's article where if our community knows the strengths of all the people that are within it, we have other people to go to. So the teacher isn't always the first one we need. And so I felt like that keeping writing and motion piece that you talked about really stayed in my head and would help me to be intentional with those decisions I'm making quickly because little things matter later, so. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, one of the hidden gems, I think, on the Choice Literacy site are all kinds of downloads. Like there's, with a lot of articles, there's downloads forms or conferring templates or, di or different kinds of templates that people can use. And so this week in the newsletter, we're highlighting some of those downloads um, for coaches. Uh, there's um, instructional coach Jean Russell is talking about norms and she shares a framework for coaching cycles and a coaching checklist that she uses in an initial interview with a teacher. Yes, I always find it so helpful to not only hear the why behind things, but then also to see the examples of what other people are using so clicking on those templates that she shared there, or that the Choice Literacy has shared that she uses, I felt like really helped me to see how she has that conversation and the things that she discusses 
with the teacher beside her to help build that partnership. And sometimes seeing different examples can help me to tweak the language I'm going to use or the way that I'm going to build those conversations and relationships. So we had that good partnership going forward. And I felt like the ones that she shared there really helped speak to what my role would be as the coach and then also what the teacher um, hopes to gain from this time together so that we're both very clear on the journey. Oh, there's so much content in this week's <laughs> Big Fresh. It's about um, making workshop work. And I'm hoping that if you don't get the Big Fresh delivered to your inbox, that you'll go ahead and sign up for that because all these links are delivered on Friday mornings. And um, well, I guess we're Friday afternoons, depending where you are in the world. Um, and just taking some time to look through them. And Kathy, I'm really glad that you talked through these articles with me and just spent some time thinking a little bit more. This is a great collection, Ruth. I really enjoyed it. I wanted to call all my friends and have them read with me so we could talk together about all these because I feel like they're just perfect in getting those our feet planted and growing those strong legs here at the beginning of the year. At Choice Literacy, we know that you want to be an educator who makes students' lives better through literacy. In order to do that, you need access to comprehensive literacy practices delivered in a way you will actually use. With over 150 in-the-field contributors, we understand the pressure to reach a variety of needs and not enough time to do it, which is why we hold true to workshop tenets like Choice and share practical ways to plan and deliver literacy instruction straight to the point of student need. You can find links to all of the articles discussed in the show notes or sign up for the Big Fresh so you can have the links delivered directly to your inbox. Keep growing readers and writers by offering choice in literacy.